Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Numa. I am your faithful friend and humble host, Daniel Finnerin. Thank you so very much for joining me. I cannot begin to express just how grateful I am to spend a little bit of time together, a couple of mindful minutes with which to interrupt your busy day. If, dear friend, you find this content insightful, peaceful, stimulating to the mind, or soothing to the soul, please do consider subscribing to this modest little channel of mine. It would be a source of illimitable joy to consider you a friend to this channel. Be sure in the process to share your favorite episode with a close friend, a loved one, and a family member with whom you think it might resonate, or to whom you think it might be of some benefit. If you're interested in listening to this meditation with the accompaniment of beautiful 4K high-definition images captured by my cameraman who also happens to be my father. Please visit my YouTube page, Numa by Daniel Finnerin. Before we begin in earnest, let us center ourselves as we always do. Let us become reacquainted with our body and our breath. To that end, I'll ask that you be seated. You can sit upright on a chair, or on the ground, or floor. Wherever you are, I want you to focus your attention on your feet. Feel the point of contact between their soles and the floor. Splay your toes. Stretch them out as far as you can. And let them recoil and bend and grip the floor. Feel the bend of the knees and the angle at which the hips are flexed. Ascending, I want you to tighten your lower abdomen. Draw it in slightly. Permit your upper abdomen to expand 
with the movement of the diaphragm. With each breath, you should feel the belly rise. Raise and expand your chest. Wear it proudly. Lower your shoulders and retract the shoulder blades. Draw back and raise your chin slightly. Feel your vertebrae stacked neatly one atop the other. Unclench your jaw, but keep your mouth closed. Don't grind your teeth, but don't keep them too far separated. Allow your tongue to occupy the upper palate. It should rest on the roof of the mouth and make contact with the front teeth. Unfurrow your brow. Allow an easy gaze to wash over your face. Close your eyes, but maintain that easy, gentle gaze. No sooner are the eyes closed than undiscovered worlds become visible. Inhale gently through your nose. As you do so, feel the upper abdomen expand. Exhale slowly through the nose and feel the abdomen contract. Let's repeat a few breaths together. Very good. Now you need only breathe and listen. The inspiration for this episode is a sonnet, a Shakespearean sonnet, with which you're unlikely to be familiar. Sonnet 30, you see, isn't commonly ranked among Shakespeare's finest works. It's neither read to romantic lovers nor inscribed on tombstones. Indeed, you'll very seldom hear a recitation of its 14 forgotten lines. And yet, to our purposes, my dear friend, I think it's ideally suited. 
Sonnet 30 deals with the themes of loss, remorse, regret, shortcomings, failure, grievances, and death. Thus, it's a seamless continuation of the topics around which our last two episodes revolved. Remorse and regret. I suppose at this point, I should encourage you upon your completion of this episode, of course, to visit those prior episodes for which another great poet, T.S. Eliot, was the inspiration. I think that you'll enjoy them. Now, we turn to Sonnet 30, of which I, your humble host, will deliver a reading. When to the sessions of sweet, silent thought, I summon up remembrance of things past, I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought, and with old woes new wail my dear time's waste. Then can I drown an eye unused to flow, for precious friends hidden death's dateless night, and weep afresh love's long since cancelled woe, and moan the expense of many a vanished sight. Then can I grieve at grievances foregone, and heavily from woe to woe tell over the sad account of forebemoaned moan which I knew pay as if not paid before. But if the while I think on thee, dear friend, all losses are restored and sorrows end. If this poem pretends to any fame, it's because of the haunting four words with which its second line ends. Remembrance of things past. The celebrated Scottish translator, C.K. Scott Moncrief, borrowed this line when he took upon himself the gargantuan task of rendering into English Marcel Proust's seven-volume work A la recherche du temps perdu. Yale's beloved professor of French literature, Diane Joy Charney, asserts in her charming little book, Letters to Men of Letters, that any attempt at an English title for Proust's work is, quote, inevitably clumsy. 
recruitment of Shakespeare in Moncrief's judgment must have seemed like a solid hedge against clumsiness. We'll leave it to our francophone friends to decide if his borrowing was ultimately a success. You'll notice that the poem is rife with legal and financial illusions. When to the sessions of sweet, silent thought, I summon up remembrance of things past, dateless night, cancelled woe, moan the expense, sad account, which I knew pay as if not paid before all losses are restored. Let's work our way through this poem and reflect on its meaning. The sessions of sweet, silent thought are the quiet, contemplative moments into which we slip when left alone. When we're detached from the now, the eternal now in which we all exist, we go there. When we do, we call to mind memories, remembrance of things past, that detain us from the present. In this case, following Shakespeare, we call to mind sad memories. The narrator here, not unlike the narrator who occupies our own head, is fixated on the things of the past. All his mental energy is consumed by those things for which he yearned, but was unable to obtain. He's saddened by their absence. He's hung up on their loss. He just can't get over it. Let me ask you, do you, dear friend, sigh the lack of many a thing that you sought? What did you seek? For what lost things do you sigh? You can tell me. Did you seek in your younger years a romantic partner, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, to whom another is now wed? Did you, immediately upon graduating from school, seek a special job in which another is now gainfully employed. These things that you once sought, with which your memory is now brimming, did you or do you sigh their lack? Do you lament their absence? 
these old woes, these old griefs, are like emotional scabs. Once picked, they uncover wounds out of which fresh streams of blood are quick to pool. We get hung up on these old woes. We lose focus on the present, on that which is beautiful, good, and true. We lose focus on stillness. We lose focus on tranquility. Fixating over old woes becomes not only a serious waste of time, but a debilitating waste of our energy. Again, unable to detach ourselves from sad memories, we begin to weep afresh love's long since cancelled woe and moan the expense of many a vanished sight. The woe is long since cancelled. It's in the distant past. It's long gone. And the sights are all vanished. They exist not in the real world before us, but in the mind's eye. Only by concentrating on them can they be brought into resolution. We grieve at grievances foregone. Tell me, truthfully, how often are you guilty of this? How often do you grieve at grievances foregone? Do past slights linger with you? Do you have trouble letting go and moving on? How about old injustices of which you were the victim? Do they still afflict you? Are you vexed by them despite the passage of time? Perhaps you were treated unkindly by a co-worker six months ago. Do you still feel resentment toward him? Does the mere thought of him inflame your wrath? Does a glance in his direction still provoke your ire? Do you drag yourself heavily from woe to woe? Do you find yourself caught in an endless cycle of negative thinking? Do you reflect only on the sadness in your life? Are you being taxed by four bemoaned moan, laments through which you've already suffered? Each time that you suffer these moans, it's as though you've submitted voluntarily to being taxed again. In essence, you pay this emotional tax twice over, and probably more times than that. 
Why do you agree to pay this emotional tax? You both levy and pay it. Luckily, my friend, relief is to be found. In the sonnet's concluding lines, Shakespeare tells us, but if the while I think on thee, dear friend, all losses are restored and sorrows end. The remedy to the sad thoughts that plague you is friendship. A friend. And so, at this time, I want you to think about your best friend. Call to mind your dearest friend in all the world. Think about the one person in the world with whom you feel totally at ease, in whom you can confide absolutely anything by whom your life is enriched, enlivened, and made significantly better, with whom you can joke, upon whom you can pour out your emotions, by whom your sorrows are at once brought to an end. Just breathe for a minute and think about this person. Think about your dearest friend. Think about the happiness that he or she brings to your life. Think about the moments of intimacy that you shared, to which every other person in the world is a stranger. These moments, these laughs, these tears, belong only to you. An unbreakable bond exists between you. Think about your best friend from your childhood. I can remember mine vividly. I thank him all these years later for his enduring companionship, his lightheartedness, his jocularity, his tenderness. Think about your current best friend. A friend is an invaluable thing. 
without whom life is, according to Shakespeare, a terrible sadness. Let's take this time, then, to be thankful for our friends. It is, after all, the power of a good friend to double your joys and have your pains. Let's hope that every person on earth, every one of our fellow human creatures, even the most unsociable, even the most churlish and mean, can enjoy some friendship. With that, my dear friend, we've reached the end of this episode. I'm Daniel Finnerin. I bid thee farewell. From Numa. <laughs>